you have got a Bible, turn to 2 Peter now, or the words will appear behind me. And we've been looking at the first 11 verses. The last few times that I've been preaching, we'll continue to do that now. We're going to focus in on verse 7, but I will read the whole of the first 11 verses, which say, Simon Peter, and servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of God and Savior, of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he's given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they'll keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone doesn't have them, he's short-sighted and blind and has forgotten that he's been cleansed from his past sins. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you'll never fall, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Okay. As I said, we've been looking at this passage for a few times, and it's always worth keeping going back and reminding ourselves of the context of, uh, of the verse that we're particularly going to look at, in this case, verse 7. But the context, the background to that, is what Peter says in the first few verses of uh, his letter, because he's writing to encourage the believers in their walk with God. And he starts out by telling them and reminding them of what God has actually done for us. So that everything that comes from that, everything that he's going to say, the main things that we're going to look at this morning, are a response to what God has already done for us. By no means is it us trying to impress God with our godliness or with our love or with our brotherly kindness, the three things we'll focus on in a little while. But we're not trying to impress God with those things. We're not trying to win God's favor because we can't do that. We've received it all from God. We've received it all from what Jesus has done, from the love that he has shown to us, from the godliness that he possessed. And uh, verse 3, of course, says, his divine power, Jesus' divine power, has given us everything we need. We haven't found it ourselves. We haven't dredged it up. We haven't worked it up. We've received it freely as a gift from Jesus, a gift from God. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. And uh, we continue in that as we develop the fruits of the Spirit, uh, which he doesn't actually call them that here. Paul calls uh, similar things fruits of the Spirit. But these things, these qualities that we are furnishing our lives with, that we are adding to our lives, verse 5, make every effort to add to your faith. It's adding to something that God has already given us in the power that God has given us too. So we're going to look at those three today. We're going to look at uh, godliness, um, brotherly kindness, we'll probably spend the most time on, and then love. And, uh, and we will see uh, what it is that we're completing in our lives, what it is that we're adding to our faith in our lives. So godliness, godliness, how we relate to God. In other words, living our lives in such a way that is pleasing to God. I mean, we recognize uh, when, we, when we come to God that God is sovereign over our lives. God is in control of our lives. He is God. And so once we accept that, once we realize that, then we can come and we can put God first in our lives. He's already in control. He's already the one who created us. He's already the Lord of our lives. But we say, yes, God, we will gladly put you first and we will gladly seek you above everything else. Jesus spoke about that in Matthew 22 uh, and verse 37. He was being asked, you know, what is the greatest commandments? What is, what is the law all summed up as? And Matthew 22 and verse 37 he said, uh, he said this, if we find the right chapter, he did. 
He said, um, this is the greatest commandment in the law. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second's like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. The greatest commandment is to love God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with everything that we are. And then he goes on to talk about how we love others. And, and that's kind of what Peter's coming at here when he talks about godliness and then brotherly kindness and, and love. He's like saying godliness is a love of God and, and then an outworking of that love in our lives that we become more and more godly. We become more and more holy. Um, Paul says similar things. Paul in Romans 12 says, um, Therefore, I urge you, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Godliness is about offering our whole lives, our whole lives as a spiritual act of worship. Offer our bodies, everything that we are, our appetites, our desires. We say, no, actually, God, we're submitting it to you. We're giving it to you. This is our, this is our worship. Worship isn't just turning up here on a Sunday this morning and singing a few songs. It's not just about the outward things. It's about our whole life. And obviously we see right at the start of the Bible, Cain found that out. Cain found that out in Genesis chapter 4. Because Cain and Abel, the two sons of Adam and Eve, they're coming to God and they're ready to offer sacrifices. They're offering their worship to God. And only one of them is accepted. Only Abel's is accepted. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. This is Genesis 4, verse 3. But as Abel brought some fat, but Abel brought some fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. But on Cain and his offering, he didn't look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. When I used to read this as a child, I used to think, well, what, what's that about? Does, is, is God just pleased with, with the meat? Is he pleased with the fat, you know, of the sheep? Oh, yes, he's into that. Actually, Cain, uh, no, what's he bringing? No, he, he's bringing uh, some fruits of the soil. He's bringing some crops. Uh, maybe God's not as pleased with that. Maybe it's about the offering. Maybe he prefers this offering to that offering. Actually, no, God's looking at their hearts. Now, Cain was a person who worked the soil. Abel was one who looked after flocks. They bring something of what they've got. We're all different. We all bring different things as gifts and offerings to God and worship to God. What's God looking at here? God's looking at the heart. He's looking at what's really going on in the heart. Abel is gladly bringing his, 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 his sacrifice. He's gladly bringing it to God. He's got a heart of worship. Cain is just thinking, this is the thing that you do, isn't it? Oh, my brother's doing it. I suppose I better bring some as well and, and offer it to God. I don't want to look like the one who's, who's, not, who's not spiritual. I don't want to look like the bad brother. So I'm going to do that. And oh, I'll give you this, God. Here you are. But it's not coming from the heart. And God sees into the heart. We can often look on the outside. God always sees into our heart. And so God isn't pleased with Cain's offering. And, and we see what's going on in Cain's heart later on. He's consumed with anger and jealousy. And then he kills his brother. It goes that extreme. God knew that was in his heart. So we come and we offer to God what is in our hearts. We don't just come and, and put on a show. We don't just come and, and, and sing the words of a song or, 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 or pray just because that's what we're supposed to do. It's a life given to God. It's a life devoted to God out of response of what God has done to us. It always comes out of that response. Let's go, uh, and we can do it because, um, because God's divine power has given us everything we need. We see that in verse 3 of 2 Peter, don't we? His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. There's that word again. How do we become godly? Actually, by receiving from God. By receiving his divine power. That's where it all comes from. He's given us everything we need. The Romans 12 passage about offering our bodies to God as living sacrifices. Paul's not just coming straight in at that. He's not just saying that straight away. He starts off by saying, therefore, 
in view of all that's gone before, in view of all the 11 chapters where I've been talking about what God has done, how you were lost in sin, how you were dead, how you're, you're rebelling against God, but then how God has made you alive in Christ and how we can know God and how there's no condemnation and nothing can separate us from the love of God and all those wonderful verses and wonderful truths that we get. And he then gets to chapter 12, 12 whole chapters, and he says, therefore... Offer your bodies as living sacrifices. It all comes from what God has done. But once we've understood that, we can respond in love and in gratitude and in godliness. We can't do it unless we've received from God already. We can't make it happen. Hebrews 11 and verse 6 says, you know, without faith, it's impossible to please God. He's speaking about men and women of faith and he says, but without faith. If you don't have faith, and where does faith come from? Faith is a gift from God. If without that, it's impossible to please God. It's only when we've been born of the Spirit that we can live that life pleasing to God and have everything we need. But we need to remember that it doesn't happen automatically. It doesn't just happen when we come to know God. We don't suddenly become godly. We need to train ourselves for it. So going back to verse 5 in, the, in 2 Peter, make every effort to add to your faith. We've, we've talked about this in previous weeks. What does it mean to make every effort? It means actually we need to go into training. Training ourselves in godliness. It's not automatic. First Timothy and chapter 4. Paul is talking to Timothy, and he's one of his leaders, and he says, have nothing to do, in verse 7, have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourselves to be godly. Train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has a value for all things, holding promise for the present life and the life to the come. If, you, if you're going to give yourself to something, Train yourself to be godly. If you want to go into some training, then do that. I mean, there's, some, there's plenty of people who like to train for events, for sporting events, for fitness. And they can give themselves to that. People in January, it'll get to that point after Christmas and people will think, do you know what? I need to get fit. I need to get healthy. I'm going to train myself. I'm going to set myself a goal. Maybe they'll even see, oh, the, the marathon's on in, uh, in April. I tell you what, I'm going to train for the Sheffield Half Marathon going to train for that. That's, that's about April time. Right. I'm going to get myself sorted out. I'm going to get myself into training. I'm going to go out running every day. I've got a goal. I've got a goal that I'm aiming for. So I'm going to, I'm going to discipline myself. So I'm going to go out and do it. And Paul's saying that's, it's got some value. It's good to do that. It's good to keep fit. But he's saying, actually, you're training for something that, that is in four months time. Or you're training for something that's at the end of the year. He says, actually, if you're training for godliness, if you're training in godliness, that has value for the present life, but also the life to come. You're going to be reaping the benefits of that for eternity. So by all means, train yourselves physically. But train yourself spiritually as well. Train yourself for godliness. Give yourself to studying the Bible. Give yourself to prayer. Give yourself to fasting. Give yourself to what is called the spiritual disciplines. They're not very fashionable these days. You don't get many books on spiritual disciplines. You get many more books on how to get this and how to do that. But the spiritual disciplines, training, it's not going to be easy. Your body's not going to want to do it. You know, I, 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 like, I like to keep reasonably fit. I like to play squash. But at the moment, um, my, my diary is just packed full. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're planning to go to Canada, preparing to go to Canada in January. Um, there's all the Christmas stuff to do. There's, a, there's people to meet. There's work, there's things to do here within the church. It's all good stuff. But I'm finding actually my, my time to play and do sport is getting squeezed out. I've probably not played, you're probably looking at me and thinking, yeah, we can tell. <laughs> I've probably not played squash for about a month now. And actually my desire to play has decreased. When I'm playing regularly, I'm thinking, yeah, I want to play a bit more. I'm getting into this. To be honest, now, I feel like I can take it or leave it. I'm thinking of the next month and I'm saying, do you know what? There's probably not going to be any time. Probably not going to get to play. 
And then we've got to Canada. Am I going to pick it up again? Am I going to really make the effort? I don't know. And I can get into that sort of mindset. And it, and it can be hard work once you get out of the habit of something. Same with spiritual training. You can really think, oh, you know, I'm going to give myself to reading the Bible and getting into the Word. Not out of a legalistic type of thing. Not because I must do it. Not because the leaders told me to do it. But because, actually, I want to do it. I know it's going to be good for me. I know it's going to feed me. And as we start to do it, we think, oh, yeah, I'm enjoying this now. If we start to let that slip, we can just get into the whole thing of, oh, do you know what? I don't really feel like it anymore. Actually, I'd just rather have that lying. It was a late night last night. I just, oh, I'll just put the alarm on snooze and it just starts to drift and we can get spiritually flabby in the same way that we can get spirit, uh, physically flabby. Actually, no, let's give ourselves to training for godliness. Let's, let's work hard at it. Godliness is something that actually holds promise for this present life. It will benefit us here. It will reap benefits for us into eternity. Godliness. Secondly, brotherly kindness. Peter now goes on and he starts to talk about how we relate to each other in the church. That's what he's talking about, brotherly kindness. How we relate to each other in the church. The Greek word that he uses here is Philadelphia. And uh, this word is only ever used anywhere else in family relationships when it's talking about families. Family relationships. It's a, it's a often called brotherly love. That's why it's translated. But always in the context of families. So let's, let's just stop for a while and, and stress this because Peter's readers might have understood that they were part of a family without any further need for explanation. But for us living in 21st century Britain, maybe we need to get reminded more often about this point that actually when we come into relationship with God, it's not just about us and God. We come into his family. We come into a people of God. We're adopted by God, not just us and God, but we're adopted into God's family. And we become the household of God. That's what, uh, in 1 Timothy, that's what Paul describes it as. He says uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse uh, 15, if, if I'm delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household which is the church of the living God. We're God's household, and he refers to that a lot. In fact, the word family, is the the family idea of church, is the thing that's stressed the most when it comes to church. That's how, more often than not, church is described as being part of God's family. So each one of us might have come from very different backgrounds, educations, cultures, um, whatever it is, but we come together in one family, the family of God. So we've already said that our worship of God isn't just about us gathering here to sing songs to God, but also gathering together isn't just a matter of convenience. You're not here this morning, hopefully, because you're just, this is the place where you're going to hear preaching. Oh, well, we have to come to this point because that's where the preacher's going to be. That's where Mark's going to be today and maybe Dan next week. That's where we're going to hear the message. Because actually, increasingly in today's society, we can hear things in different contexts, can't we? We can go and we can listen to the download of the message uh, on the internet or on iTunes. We can go and, and actually watch messages from pe- people and preachers that we might prefer to our own uh, church leaders, if we fancy that. And, and we can even watch them on video. Uh, we can look at them on video, we can just sit in the comfort hour, even project them onto our TV screens, we can sit there comfortably, uh, no need to uh, worry about anyone else, no need to worry about getting out of the house, it's all there for us. We, we'll put our worship CD on, that's all fine. Well, we can do those things, and some of those things might be good things to do, but we miss out on gathering together. Why do we gather together? Because we're God's family, we're family together. So we gather as a family to worship and be fed by him. So it might be news to you. We can sit next to each other. We can sit next to each other when we gather. We can talk to each other and, and ask how things are going. And, uh, and, and it's a good chance to catch up with people that we've known or, uh, or that we can get to know new members of the family. Um, that's why at, uh, when you join the church, you get welcomed into the church at 
a family night. We have a family night this coming uh, Friday, and we will be welcoming in new members of the church, new members of the family. It's not just because it's we couldn't think of anything else to call it. We call it a family night because that's what we are. We're a family. It's not a business meeting. There might be a number of things that uh, we have to communicate to you. There might be a number of different news items, but it's important that we know we're gathering as a family. It's important we feel that there's a light uh, family atmosphere. You know, my jokes that I, I give are just like those dad jokes, you know, that your dad makes. You just think, oh, that's terrible. You know, I work hard at those to just make it feel <laughs> like family. That, that, that's the way it is. Oh, do you know, that reminds me of my dad. <laughs> we need to do things like that. There needs to be good fun at families. That's why we announce birthdays here. When it's someone's birthday on a Sunday, you might think, what? Why, why are we? I, I, someone's birthday, I don't even know them. They're part of the family. It's important to celebrate birthdays. That's why we go to family weddings. When we have a wedding, someone in the church gets married. It goes without saying, we can all come along. We might not all get invited to the, um, to the meal afterwards or to the evening do. That, there may be number limits there. But actually, so when we see that someone getting married, wow, someone in our family is getting married. We want to be there. Oh, I don't, instead of, oh, I don't really know that person, I don't think I'll go. I'll go and be with my mates or do something else instead. No, it's family. We benefit from being a part of a family. If we're single, if we're widowed, if, if we've got just a very small family, I, I come from a family where there's, I've got no aunties or uncles or cousins. It's very small family. Just, just a few mum and, mum and dad, one brother, not living near here. Actually, it's great to be able to come and know we're part of a family. We can meet together as that church family. We're not on our own. We're not, we don't have to be lonely because we can be with each other. Actually, if we, if you're part of a strong family, maybe you're part of a big family with lots of aunties or uncles and cousins. Maybe many of them are in Sheffield. Actually, don't neglect the family of God. Don't just think that family is the more important one. And, and I'll give everything I can to that family and a, a little bit of time to the family of God. Because I've got my family. No, we can all benefit from each other. We can all benefit from having fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters as part of the church. Again, Paul speaks about this to Timothy in First Timothy and chapter 5. He talks about how we treat family members. He's talking here to the leader, and he says, Don't rebuke an older man harshly. Exhort him as if he was your father, because he is our father in, in, in the church. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women with sisters, with absolute purity. That's how we relate to each other in the church. We relate to each other. As fathers and mothers, we can really learn from the wisdom of those who are, who are more mature in, in the church, more mature in Christ. Maybe not mature in age, but, but perhaps it is. And we, we, instead of just ignoring them and thinking, oh, we're just going to be with people our age. Actually, no, let's, let's learn. Let's benefit from the wisdom as we might do from our own grandparents or parents. With our brothers and sisters. Actually, let's see each other like that. Let's begin to see each other like brothers and sisters so we treat each other with reverence and respect. Especially when you, if you're younger, maybe you're single, you can, and you know, it's great to be able to come to a church and you might, you might find the person who you're going to marry here in the church. It's good. It's good to marry someone who loves God. It's good to be able to get to know them, but let's make sure that we're not just coming along and treating them as everyone as potential boyfriend and girlfriend. We're brothers and sisters together. Actually, we can, we can treat them with absolute purity. That means, you know, if you're not gonna, if you're not at the point of about to get married to someone, we don't just want to be flirting with people or sitting in meetings and kissing or whatever it might be. And uh, <laughs> if you're married, feel free, go ahead. <laughs> but otherwise, we're brothers and sisters. Actually, we need to remember sometimes that we're brothers and sisters, even if we do think, well, one day I'm going to marry that person. In Luke chapter 18, we see Jesus with a group of his disciples, with his family of disciples. And his mother and his brother 
show up. And his mother and brothers at that point, and certainly his brothers, they don't, they don't believe in him. They don't believe he's the son of God. They're a bit confused by all this stuff that he's, he's saying. And so we see in chapter 18 and verse 19, they show up while Jesus is, is with, um, is with his family. And this is where I find I've totally written down the wrong, uh, the wrong reference. Never mind. Okay, but I know the story, so I'll tell it you. And you can find it yourself. He's there. He's there. And he's, uh, he's with his disciples and his mother and brothers show up. And someone says, hey, your mother and your brothers are outside waiting for you. And Jesus says, who are my mother and brothers? And he turns to the people he's with and he says, these are my, these are my mother and brothers. These are my family. These are the people who are, who are following me, who are loving me, who are doing my will. Actually, his birth mother and his brothers weren't included in that group at that time. And, and it seems a bit harsh. You know, he's, he's kind of snubbing his mum and, and his brothers. Actually, I don't care about them. It almost seems as though he's saying, no, he does care about them. And we see that he cares about them later on. We see in the Bible, in the Gospels, actually even on his, on his, his crucifixion, he's, he's, he's making sure his mother's cared for. It's not like he's, he's not interested in them. We're not saying if you're part of the church and your family aren't believers, don't have anything to do with them. Of course we have things to do with them. Of course we love them. Of course we spend time with them. But Jesus is saying, actually, I'm prioritizing these guys and women. I'm prioritizing the family of believers. They actually came first for Jesus. And I wonder, as we understand that we're part of a family, as we start to understand that it's not just about coming on a, on a Sunday or on a Wednesday night and showing up, and it's all about meetings, and actually the rest of the week we're not going to have a lot to do with these people. Just, just about the meetings. Once we understand what it means to be part of God's family, our actions will start to change. We'll start to make different choices between things. And some, cause sometimes you do have those priorities. Like, you get in a situation where Jesus, like Jesus was, where his, his, his family, his, his, his disciples, his followers are there. They're wanting him to, to teach and they're relating to him. Oh no, he's got another call on his life. His mum and his brothers. Who's he going to choose? Is he going to go, oh of course, yeah, sorry guys. Got to go with my mum and brothers. Got to go and talk to them. Sometimes you've just got to make a choice. Sometimes it can be a difficult choice. Oh, I wish I could do both. Yeah, sometimes we can't. And what choices do we make? Our actions actually start to show what our value of family is. What do we prioritize? Now, hear me right. I'm not telling you what to do. I could easily stand up here and say, do you know what? As a, as a Christian, you need to prioritize your church family. You need to make sure you're at every meeting there is. You need to make sure that you do this and you do that. Well, there won't be any point in doing that because you're doing it because someone's telling you to do it. You're doing it because it's, it's the law. It's the rules of the church. And we don't, we don't set up those rules. Actually, what we're setting out is, this is, this is what God says we are. This is who God says we are. Surely that's how we respond all the time in faith. We go from who God says we are. God says you're a, 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 a son and daughter of Christ. Wow. No, we're no longer sinners. We can stand before God. We can come into his presence. We don't need to go around with our head bowed the whole time because we've understood who we are. Actually, we're members of the, God's family together. Oh, right. Actually, the more we understand that, the more it affects what we do. It affects how we spend our time. It affects how we relate to each other. It just starts to happen. We start to gladly make decisions. We start to gladly include things people in the things that we do. Does that mean we're always going to have warm and fuzzy feelings towards our church family? Are we always going to just feel, oh, you know, every time we see each other, oh, I'm so pleased to see you. <laughs> Give me a big hug. You know, no, we're not going to feel like that. Are we? We're not going to, we're not always going to have those feelings. We, we don't towards our, our human families a lot of the time, actually. We need to realize that when Peter and the New Testament writers are speaking about love, brotherly love, family love. They're not, they're not speaking about a feeling. Peter's not talking about a feeling here. And for most people, actually, love can just become that. For most people in our society, if you talk about love, they're thinking it's about a feeling. 
I think it's about how, how you feel about someone. So you fall in love with someone. Oh, I fall in love with you. And, and they go and marry, they go and spend time with them and they want to be with them the whole time. And they might end up living together or they might end up marrying them. And, and there we are. But then, but then after a while, those feelings start to fade. You hit a difficult time and you hear people say, well, do you know what? I don't love you anymore. I've fallen out of love with you. And therefore, I'm leaving you. Therefore, I'm not going to spend as much time with you anymore. Therefore, it affects how we are. It comes down to how we feel. We can bring that into the church sometimes. We can get saved. We can, we can come to know God. We can be part of God's family. We can think, this is wonderful. All these people here, they're so lovely to get to, to me and they're so kind and I'm, I'm, I'm really enjoying being part of it. And this can, we can throw ourselves into the church. And then things can get difficult. Maybe someone says something that upsets us. Maybe something happens. Maybe we feel as though we've been left out of something. And we start to allow those bitterness to come in. And we, and we lose the feelings. We lose the feelings of love. We lose the feelings. We, we kind of think, do you know what? Oh, it's core group tonight. I just don't feel like it. I just don't feel like core group. I don't feel like going. Or if they're coming to your house, even worse. Oh, they're coming to our house. Like, I can't even escape. Oh, just, just say I've got a headache. I'm just going to bed. Is that right? <laughs> you, know? you don't feel like it. So make choices dependent on that. I just don't, it's just too much effort. And we can start to take ourselves out because we're not feeling it anymore. We don't feel like we're family together. Being part of a family isn't about how we feel. Loving each other with brotherly and sisterly love isn't about how we feel. In the Bible, love is a command. Jesus talks to his disciples in John chapter 13 about this. Uh, John chapter 13 and verse 34, he says this, a new command I give to you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know you are my disciples if you love one another. Notice what he's saying there. What's the language Jesus is using? A new command I give to you. Oh, right. This isn't something they're just feeling like doing. It's a command. He follows it up. You must love one another. Ooh. You know, it's one of the things you learn when you're preaching. Someone said, people say to you, 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 you know, you mustn't say to people, you must do this. You must do that. You don't tell people what they must do. Don't tell people what they have to do. Jesus says, a new command I give to you, you must love one another. He's telling us what we need to do. He's telling his disciples what they need to do. Did they feel like doing it? No. It doesn't come, it didn't come naturally to his disciples. We, we see back in Mark chapter 9. They're walking down the road. They're arguing with each other. Who's the greatest? Oh, I'm better than you are. Don't be so stupid. I'm better than you. I did this. I was the one who cast that demon out of someone. Of course I'm greater. Oh yeah, but I prayed for that guy and he got healed. Oh yeah, but I was the one, Peter says, who said Jesus is the Christ. So I'm the one who's greater than you. They're all arguing about it. They're at each other. It's all about position. It's all about who's going to be sitting at the right hand and left. You know, James and John, I think it was, get their mum involved. Mum, mum, come and ask Jesus. Ask Jesus if we can sit at his right and left hand in heaven. What's that about? Jesus is saying, look, you need to stop it. You need to stop that. Your brothers and sisters in my family, you need to love one another. I'm, I'm, this is strong. I'm giving it as a command. You must do it. He says, if you do it, everyone will know you are my disciples. How will the world know? How will the world know about Jesus? How will the world see Jesus? Jesus says it's by seeing the church. By seeing the church love one another. Oh, aren't we supposed to go and love others in the world? Aren't we supposed to go and show God's love to others? Yeah, that's part of it. But the main way that the world is going to see Jesus is they see the church. And they see the church loving each other. Loving each other. So we've got to focus on each other. I thought it was just come along, get trained up, get you know motivated, off we go into our workplaces. That's where we're going to love people. That's part of it. But a much bigger part of it is we love one another. We love each other. We spend time with each other. We care for each other. We watch out for each other. 
And it won't always be because we feel about it, because actually we can get disappointed with people in the church. We tend to expect more of them. It's like with our families. We expect more of them. We expect more of each other. We can get disappointed more easily. I've many, many times I've heard people say, do you know what? It's so much easier to spend time with unbelievers than it is with people in the church. Why is that? We don't have as high expectation. When we've got high expectations, we get disappointed. And we just think, oh, do you know, what's, what's the point? Actually, no, Jesus says we've got to come and we, we forgive. And if we're coming to the altar and we're going to worship God and, and we realize, do you know what? I'm still harboring those anger, angry thoughts against someone and those, that bitterness. And they've got this against me. He says, don't bother. Don't bother coming and worshiping God. Get your, get your relationship sorted out, first of all. Leave your gift. Leave, leave your offering of worship. I'll be there later on. You can come back. Go and get this sorted out. Because it's your brother and your sister. And maybe there's people here who, who actually, we, we just need to think, do you know what? I've had an issue with that person for a while and I've just let it go. And, and I need to get it sorted. Now maybe, maybe the best way you can get it sorted actually is get it sorted with God in, in your mind. You don't always have to tell. Sometimes it doesn't help. Sometimes people come up to me and say, do you know what? I just want to tell you that message that I heard this morning. It was great. And I've had a problem with you for three years because of this. But, but I just want you to know I've forgiven you now. and it's, I'm, I'm okay now. And they walk away. And you go, oh, really? Oh, no. They've had a problem with me for three years. And you start, what did I do? And you can actually leave the other person in a worse position. But if you know, if each of you know there's an issue, if you know there's an issue between it, actually, we need to reconcile with each other. We need to make it right because we're, we're brothers and sisters together. We, we can't just go with, with what's easier or what, or what we feel like. It's too important. This is how the world will know we're his disciples. This is how the world's going to see Jesus when they look at the church. I mean, I've, I, you know, I've got to say, I'm, I'm, I'm preaching this. I've got to say, looking out of the church, I, I think I think we... On the whole, we do pretty well at some of this. I, I've seen other churches where there's been bickering and backbiting and fighting and everyone trying to get their own position. Do you know what? I do see a lot of love in this church. I do see a lot of love for each other. I see a lot of, of just generosity towards each other. People cooking meals for each other. People giving gifts. It's great how in the, in, in the buckets that come around, we can see uh, gifts for each other being given as well as gifts to the church. And it's great to hear people sort of say, oh, do you know, I was so blessed by that. And uh, just just little things, practical things, um, where we just think, do you know what? We're being blessed by each other. We're being encouraged by each other. It's good. It's good. But let, let me encourage you. Let, let, let's not just show that love to the people who we know. Let's just not just show that love to those who might be more like us. Because we're all part of God's family together. You know, we, we, we can go and pick up people and give them lifts. Um, but let's not just stick to it if it's on our way or if it's only a little bit out of the way. Or actually, I'm not sure about picking that person up because they're a little bit smelly and um, they, you know, they, they might, I might have to get the air freshener out in my car. Or whatever different thing it is that we might start to think, oh, I'm not going to do it for that person. Actually, let's show love to all of us. To each other, and we can we can be free with our gifts. You know, in the early church, in Acts in Acts chapter four, I think it is, we read. Um, in fact, let, let's let's turn to it. Acts chapter four and verse thirty-two. This is one of the first things that happened when people encountered God. This is right at the start of the early church. And Acts chapter four, verse thirty-two, it says, "All the believers were in." One in heart and mind. No one claimed any of his possessions was his own, but he shared everything they had. With great power, they continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There was no needy persons on them. From time to time, those who owned houses or land sold them and brought the money from the sales, put it at the apostles' feet, and it's distributed to anyone who had need. Wow, what love. Why were they doing that? Because the apostles told them to? No, because they'd understood the love of God. They'd been transformed by the love of God on their lives. They'd understood, actually, God's brought these 3,000 and then increasing to 5,000 and more. We're part of the family together. And so we care for each other. And so someone's got land, they'll sell their land. Someone's got an extra house, they'll sell their extra house. They'll, they'll give of what they've got. Oh, you haven't got that? Well, I'll give that to you. 
Wow, what generosity. No wonder the church was continuing to grow. I mean, you know, it was, there was much grace on them all. Okay, yeah, they were speaking about Jesus. But the church was beginning to grow. And it was growing at a massive pace. Do you know what? I reckon a lot of that was because of how this church were. How they were with each other. What people saw in them. No needy people. We see it in the wider family as well, not even just in the local church. We see in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, we hear about the Macedonians and they're saying, we want to give a gift. We want to give a gift of money to uh, other churches in Jerusalem. They're poorer. And, 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 and Paul's saying, you've not got any money. You're poor yourself. And they say, no, don't, don't leave us out of this. Don't exclude us from showing love to other Christians. We want to do this. It says they urgently pleaded with us. We, come on, Paul. I know we've not got much, but we've got something we can give. Paul says it was amazing. They gave all that they had. And even beyond what they could give, he said, miracles were happening as they, as people gave. They didn't just think, oh, we've got a bit extra. They didn't have anything. But they saw God miraculously enabling them to give more. So it's easy for us to come up with excuses. Oh, do you know what? I can't help that person because of this. Oh, I can't give because I've not got any money. I can't do this. Actually, if we can get hold of something in faith, then we can. Because we we do something in faith and we see God at work. So I'm I'm believing for God. I can't see how this is going to work out. Do you know what? I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to sell my car. I'm going to give my car to someone. It's fantastic. I've seen it happen a number of times. People in church giving cars to each other. Things like that. Big things. Wonderful. It's wonderful. More of it. Because that's how the world's going to see that we're his disciples. And I do. You do. You probably hear it yourself. Even just on a level of giving food. When, when someone's had a baby and people are getting meals provided. I've heard other, other unbelievers say, I can't believe it. Your church do that. And I'm, and I'm thinking, it's just cooking a meal. It's not that big a deal. But it's amazing to people who don't know God. It's a real sign of God at work in his people. Brotherly love. It, it comes bit by bit. It, it takes work. It takes effort like all of these things. It doesn't just come automatically. We have to train ourselves. We have to give ourselves to it. We have to think the best of each other. We have to refuse to listen to gossip. We have to think, no, they're my brother and sister. I'm, I'm going to believe the best of them. Finally, love. We'll just touch briefly on this because some of it overlaps uh, with what I've said. The final thing which we cultivate and furnish our house of faith with is love. This is a different word, agape. Um, agape. And uh, I love the way Colossians describes this. Colossians, uh, Paul in Colossians chapter 3, he says this. Um, Therefore... As God's chosen people, verse 12, God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. It's a very similar passage to this one in 2 Peter. Bear with each other. Forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. All the things we've just been talking about. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. He's saying here, love is the glue that just holds everything else together. That's, that's what all of these different things, patience and perseverance and self-control and humility. Do you know what? All of those things, they're great in of themselves. Love sums it all up. Love binds it together. It's the glue that binds us. And, and obviously, to start off with, it's the love that God has shown us. Godly love. Accepting love. Love that goes beyond what is reasonable. Love that sacrifices at a cost. Jesus' love. Um, and Paul, again in 1 Corinthians, the, the, probably the most famous chapter in the Bible, 1 Corinthians 13, where Paul speaks about love. You know, he, he, he starts it off, he says, I'll show you now the most excellent way. This is the most excellent way. It's all about love. You know, he's been speaking to a church that are, are really great on the gifts of the Spirit. Well, in fact, he doesn't think they are that great. He thinks they're a bit excessive. But, but they think they're great. They think, oh, we're moving in. We're speaking in tongues the whole time. There's all this stuff going on. Actually, the stuff that was, the church was a mess, but they were focusing on, on the spiritual gifts. 
and, and all this stuff. It was all bum, 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 charismatic, people bouncing off the walls. Paul, Paul's speaking about spiritual gifts in chapter 12. He speaks about spiritual gifts in chapter 14 as well. He's giving some guidance. He's saying, and in the middle of it, he goes, do you know what? The, the best way is just love. It's just all about love. It's about loving each other. He says, if I can speak in tongues of men and angels, if I don't have love, I'm just like this gong or clanging symbol. If I can prophesy, if I can work out all mysteries, have all knowledge, have a faith that can move mountains, if I haven't got love, I'm nothing. He's cutting them right down to size. He's saying, look, get your priorities sorted out. Never mind all these gifts. God's given you them. Fantastic. Where's your love? Where's your love for each other? It's the most excellent way. It's the thing we need to be focusing on. And that's a decision that we make too. It's a decision that we make. It goes wider than the church. Jesus made a decision out of love in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus in the Garden, he didn't want to die. He didn't want to face the agony of the cross. He didn't want to face the infinitely greater agony of separation from his heavenly father who he had never been separated with before from before he'd always been in perfect relationship and now he knew he was going to face separation more than that he was going to face his father's anger and wrath against sin the sin of the whole world that was what was ahead of him and he's in the garden and he's sweating blood and he's praying and he's understandably saying god is there no other way father is there no other way but he made a decision. He said, but do you know what? If there's no other way, I'm going with what you say. If there's no other way, I'm not just going to do with what I want. I'm not going to go with what my body is telling me. I'm not going to go with what every thought in my head is telling me and screaming out at me. This can't be right. And even other people sort of taunting him and saying, oh, if you are the son of God, surely you can just save yourself. And there's such temptation there. And he's saying, I'm ignoring all of that. I'm ignoring everything that my body and my mind is screaming at me. And I know God loves me. And I know what his will is. And I'm going to make that decision. And he made that decision to willingly go to the cross. Of course he could have taken himself off the cross. Of course he could have done a miracle. He'd not suddenly lost all the power of the Holy Spirit that he'd been given. You know, the devil was at it in the in the desert early days. You know, oh, you're hungry, you're hungry. Turn this bread, turn these stones to bread. What was going on in the desert for Jesus? It was training. He was training himself. What was he training himself for that moment in the garden? Because that moment in the garden, he was facing the biggest onslaught he had ever faced in terms of temptation. But he made a decision for love, love of his father, love of us. That's what motivated him. Did he feel like it? No way. No way did he feel like it. We can make decisions to love because of the love that we've received. But we train ourselves for it. We read passages like in Luke chapter 6 and verse 27 and it, it can do our heads in because it says, Jesus says, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. How do we do that? How do I love my enemy? How do I love someone? This, this guy here, Satan Lee, his friends and family and brothers and sisters were killed by the Khmer Rouge in the killing fields. He faced These brutal women, actually, who were in charge of the camp, they cut the camp down from a thousand to less than a hundred people survived. They were murdered in horrendous ways. Horrific, horrific ways they killed people as well. I'm not even going to say it here because it's just too disturbing. But horrific. And he witnessed it. And he came to know God. And in one of the meetings when he was preaching... He looked out and he saw one of the women, one of the women who had murdered his friends and family. She was sitting there and he said he just wanted to kill her right there and then. That was his immediate response. I'm going to go, I'm going to, I'm preaching, but I'm going to walk over there and I'm just going to kill her and then I'll, I'll carry on killing. I'll carry on preaching. No, I'll carry on killing. 
But he, he didn't. He went over and he took her hand and he said, I want you to know I forgive you. Did he feel that forgiveness? Did he feel that sense of compassion towards her? Did he feel any of that? No. He made a choice. He made a choice. He, didn't, he doesn't even know if she got saved. He, doesn't even, he never saw her again. But he said, do you know what? It brought me far more freedom. Even if it's not brought her freedom, it's brought me freedom. It can do us good as well. It's love for others. Actually, it can do us good. Loving our enemies. Is it possible? It's possible. But we train ourselves. We can only act in a loving way as a response to God. God's love for us was shown to us while we were still his enemies. While we were still sinners. While we were still enemies of God. Romans 5 and verse 10 says, If while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more shall we be saved through his life? We're his enemies. That's who we were. So these are things that we can add to our faith. These are all elements, qualities of our life with love at the center of it all, gluing it all together. That as we grow in our Christian walk, as we grow in our understanding of God and his love for us, we can come and we can, we can see our lives change. We can see goodness and knowledge, greater understanding of God added to our lives. We can see self-control, that we don't just go with what our desires are telling us. We don't back off from our faith. Perseverance in the faith face of opposition. We can become more godly and loving of God and holy. We can show brotherly kindness to each other and we can bind it all together with our love. And these things will prevent us from becoming short-sighted or blind or weak or flabby in our Christian faith. They'll constantly remind us that God's forgiven us. They'll constantly remind us of the Father and Jesus and their love for us and that we can come together and we have an eternity ahead of us and with him. So let's pray.